Meet Yelp for Restaurants. Not the software company, but the people who love restaurants so much they formed a team dedicated to our industry. Before Catherine joined the customer success team, she managed the modern in New York. Yeah, that modern. Before Julia joined the team, she worked at Oshaval in Chicago for half a decade. Yelp is for restaurants because our people are restaurant people. Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go. We see in all of the surveys a desire for in-person experiences to be in person, but to have a little bit of digital. As soon as you veer a little bit off of that, it's got to be kind of all digital all the time. And there's a very low threshold for kind of sensitivity on timing, on wait times and on service. And so for us, the solution is really like build a platform that allows you to bring all of those things in. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders and innovators served up on the house. Hey, it's Josh. Do you want to spend 60 minutes planning out a profitable 2022 with me? Just you and me on Zoom, camera on, pen and paper out, getting you super clear on exactly what your goals are and how you're going to achieve them. It's free, even though the call is worth like a gazillion dollars. Go to planwithjosh.com to book that call with me. That's plan with josh.com to book a one-hour strategy session to make sure that 2022 is your most profitable year yet. Restaurant folks are cowboys, right? We're pirates on a ship shooting from the hip and trusting our guts to point us in the right direction. But to be honest, that hasn't always served me well. What has served me well is looking at the data and planning accordingly. And when I look to the future, I use the information I can pick up now to forecast the best path forward. That's what led me to my conversation with the folks over at Oracle. They just completed a massive survey of thousands of restaurant customers in an effort to determine exactly what our customers want and what they'll expect from us in the new year. Today, we sit down with Mike and Simon from their leadership team to run through what the data says and how we should interpret it. So I'm Simon DeMontfort Walker. I manage what we know is our Oracle Food and Beverage Global Business Unit, which is actually the business unit globally that supplies Micro's point of sale to the restaurant world and the hospitality world globally. So we operate in more than 60 countries, have a large team focused entirely on the inner workings of the restaurant business, um, how we connect with consumers and how we manage operations. Right on. What does day-to-day look like for you guys? I mean, Simon, we've spoken many times in the past, but yeah. you're always looking for what's new, what's next, how to help. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we have a really interesting, frankly, role in life, right? Where we live in this Oracle universe that is kind of a really remarkable technology company. And part of what we do is sort of democratize what happens at Oracle and try and bring it to the restaurant business, frankly, while keeping our set of ears to the ground for what's going on in the marketplace and what we can see as being sort of useful to our restaurant clients. I think day-to-day though, right now, certainly like with everyone else, right? Our key focuses are what does recovery look like? What are the challenges we're seeing in the supply chain? Are we seeing in staffing? You know, you and I had a conversation not a month ago that really focused and honed in on that. And so that tends to be the key subject, but you know, it all aligns to what's coming and, and how do we sort of prepare for what's next while dealing with the challenges of the day. And so we're really entirely focused on the industry. So it's all we worry about which is actually one of the great parts of the Oracle model with these business units. 
I might just add one other point. I think our day-to-day has changed as many of our customers are shifting the way that they consume our innovation as they move from legacy kind of on-premise perpetual models to more software as a service. A big part of our day is spent in operational roles, capacity planning, right? security reviews, getting compliance and certifications for things like SOC 2 security. So there's a really shift in where Simon and I have traditionally spent our time, but hopefully it's taking care of our people, keeping them safe and healthy, trying our best to serve our customers. But increasingly with frequency, we're becoming operators. And altruism aside, what's in it for you? What are the benefits to Oracle helping restaurants do better and be better? Because there's obviously an associated cost with it. I mean, certainly like I said, right, I mean, this is a huge marketplace globally. So we see a massive market opportunity. I think Oracle writ large, we see it as one that's likely been underserved or has been served, frankly, by like commercial models that probably weren't all that beneficial to the end restaurateur. And if you look at how large enterprise consumes technology, how they pay for it, it tends to be much more advantageous than how we see, let's say, the independent restaurateur and the sort of growing restaurateur interacting with technology companies. And so we see that as both an opportunity for us as well as the marketplace to figure out how to bring what Oracle does globally with large enterprise and bring it to this industry and make people successful with it. So whether that's new commercial models, whether it's new technology, whether it's sort of packaging it up differently, those all tend to be pretty beneficial for both sides. For us, there's growth in it, and we think there's a better solution for the restauranter. And you guys are obviously seeing a lot of data coming in from the restaurants, but you're also seeking data from the consumers as well. How do you go about doing that? So certainly in the restaurant space, right, we get to see these transactions from you know the digital device or the server all the way through to the kitchen and then back into the supply chain, right? You know, Oracle is world's leading provider of supply chain tooling. And so we tend to have a really complete data set. You know, we're adding much more information around payments and kind of individual interactions to that as well. And so it tends to be about trying to connect up consumer demand all the way back down through the supply chain. So we can think about staffing, we can think about ordering and putting that to work. And certainly we talk a little bit about the surveys, right? We see more and more willingness on the part of consumers to sort of divulge and have that interaction with a restaurant that's really personal, as long as they see benefit for us. And so for us, that's really where the mechanism to provide the benefit, whether that's in terms of pricing, in terms of products that sort of hit better with consumers, um, or just in terms of an experience that's really set up for that consumer's need. And so there's a benefit Oracle has, obviously, lots of experience in this space. And that's really when we talk about democratizing what Oracle does and bringing it into the restaurant business. Like, that's a great example of it, right? You've got this organization that really built how the modern kind of enterprise thinks about data and uses it. And we're turning that cannon onto the restaurant business. And we're building a library of first-party data. So we go directly to consumers. We've done so now, I think, seven years in a row. We're really trying to take their pulse. So we get a a read from our customers in terms of what they're experiencing and what their needs are. We've got people that wake up in these communities every day. It's all they do. They're practitioners. So they have a strong point of view about where they think the industry may be heading. But we use first-party data to try to validate that to inform the strategy to make sure that we're getting it right. The study itself that you guys just did, I think, offers a lot of visibility into the mindset of consumers today in this moment. And I do think it's a pivotal moment. One, because I think most restaurateurs are doing some sort of 2022 planning. 
but it's also the holiday season, which is an amazing opportunity for us to end the year strong. So talk to me about this specific study, who you polled, where you polled, and what kind of information you were looking to get. So, I mean, maybe I'll take the holiday part and then you can bring it home to talk about the restaurant-specific piece. So as mentioned, we're both part of a global community. So we want to make sure we're understanding regional differences and so we can localize and focus our innovation. So we interviewed roughly 6,000 consumers in 11 different countries, including the U.S. And we're really being able to dial in what is their intention. And there is some cause for optimism, despite what we see in the headlines and you know the uh, supply chain embargoes and uh, flotillas of inventory that set offshore. Consumer spending looks like it's going to be pretty strong. More than half of the respondents indicated year over year that their spending will be at the same or higher levels. So I think we have an environment where consumer balance sheets are in pretty good shape and they're eager to return to more normal life, which increasingly includes going back to stores. And so certainly on our side, right, it's a similar look. I think what is interesting when we look at restaurant activity really specifically you know, similar number of responses, the same sort of 6,000 pool, it's global, is how deeply the pandemic has impacted people's behaviors, right? You see it kind of up and down our response, country to country. So in country, people's willingness to have digital interaction, people's desire to be in-house as opposed to a takeout order, people's desire for sort of sustainability messages. The pandemic has really kind of changed and put its imprint in every single geography we work in on consumers and their desires. They're much more open to these kind of complex interactions that are both digital and in-person. They're focused on kind of, you know, message from restaurant around sustainability and the mission. And so it's sort of fascinating. Right? On one hand, as, as Mike says, you've got a willingness to spend, a desire to get back out there. But on the other hand, you also have this kind of merging of our pandemic selves and our past selves into this new set of trends that's really complex and is frankly kind of more difficult to operate in. When I was looking at the data high level, I'll tell you my first thought was, man, things are never going to be the same. I mean, just on a foundational level, as a restaurateur, in, in the mind of a restaurateur, how we defined a restaurant has changed and it's changed permanently. You can see from the data and the consumer trends and what they're expecting from us that they want us to be more pliable, more dynamic. And obviously we had our plates full prior to the pandemic. It's not like we didn't have enough to do. But I also look at the changes and their preferences, and I see that generally there are more opportunities to make money than there were before. For many of us, myself included, delivery and takeout was an incredibly small portion of my business. I made all of my money using a very simple strategy. You convince them to come in, they come in, hopefully they leave quickly and they tell their friends. But now, you can have this holistic strategy with multiple revenue streams. And it's a very exciting time. And to really kind of begin to get granular, uh, one of the big things that came out of here was there's a huge opportunity to sell gift cards, right? I can tell you what we saw in the holiday survey from a macro standpoint. Again, Simon can speak to it more directly from a restaurateur's view. We did see that about a third of the consumers that we interviewed intend to buy more gift cards. And it's skewed heavily towards two constituencies. So boomers and women both indicated it's actually their preferred gift they want to receive. I think in an environment where there was real concern for are goods and services even going to be available and will they be available at reasonable prices, 
has absolutely fueled an expansion of gift cards and purchasing behavior across a variety of segments, uh, retail and restaurants being the largest. What's interesting to me is it also pairs with this kind of general sense we're getting about people's loyalty to their local restaurateurs. You know, I think part of the gift card take up, right, is like, hey, I'm really committing into this experience and this spend, and I'm attaching the gift to that. And I think part of the willingness also parallels what we see from a loyalty perspective, where through this kind of pandemic journey we've all been on, people's loyalty to providers who they have faith in, and they like the experience, like they're not shy about showing it and they're sharing it with people. Well, and I think the real opportunity is just to pitch it, right? Knowing that it is of interest to the consumer, it's about presenting it in a very real way. I mean, I've been in the industry over 20 years. I've sold gift cards for most of that time and have promoted it for almost none of it. But it can be a viable revenue stream, especially during the holidays. And I think getting front and center and sending out a newsletter focused on that and offering it as an addendum to the transaction for dine-in. And putting promos in with the takeout and delivery menus, I see it as a massive opportunity because people that order from you once or dine with you once are more likely to do it again and again if you simply invite them back. And this is a great way to generate revenue from people that may or may not come in anytime soon but would like to see you succeed. The challenge, like with so much of this, right, is that there's third parties sort of selling gift cards in your name. And so, you know, how do you make sure that you're getting your message out? And you're really engaging with your audience as opposed to letting someone else do it for you. And I think we're always surprised when we talk to the restaurateur community and and sort of talk through some of the mechanics of what third-party delivery, let's say, are doing kind of in their name. And it's part of, there's this huge opportunity, as, as you point out, right? I mean, we're seeing the industry is bigger. There's more consumption writ large from our industry. There are also these challenges that, that go beyond just the increased complexity, right? Which is, okay, you've got a loyalty program, you've got gift cards. How do you make sure yours is kind of front and center and you're able to deliver it to your marketplace without someone sort of trying to do it for you? Well, and I think there is an opportunity with the third-party marketplaces to capitalize during the holidays. You guys had some data on last-minute shopping through platforms like DoorDash, right? Walk me through that. We did. And I think one of the clear winners as we look back over you know, the course of the pandemic has been really the grocery segment as there's been a concentration of prepared meals and their ability to now deliver and bring that convenience to us as consumers has helped. So we saw in the survey this year, again, back to the concerns that kind of Santa's sleigh is on delay has now led people to say, hey, I'll try more innovative options to get it here on time. So about 55% of our consumers that responded indicated that they would try a platform, a marketplace approach like a DoorDash. And about half for the first time in our survey indicated they would use, fill in the blank of whatever your preferred voice assistant would be. So consumers are becoming comfortable and confident in this new interaction model. Well, and to get super actionable, where I see the opportunity is in large format or meal prep and being able to push that out through the third party marketplaces because it's unexpected. It's probably not something we've thought about doing before, but someone's worried about getting Christmas dinner or the prep for Christmas dinner or farmer's market boxes. We could just as easily sell it through the marketplaces as we can through our own website or our own social media. I think that The more dynamic our offering is, the easier it is to get it on more places and sell more goods. 
I think choice and convenience can tie drivers. And I mean, what we saw is, again, about 20% of the consumer just say, like, I can't find the ingredients at all. And then about a quarter of the respondents, it's really about convenience. What they're saying, because of the supply chain constraints that are real, they have to go to multiple stores to get what they need. And you combine supply chain shortages with about a third of our consumers surveyed indicate that they're stocking up. We're hoarding very specific categories, both for grocery and for meal prep. God forbid you don't get your favorite pumpkin spice latte in time, which was called out. I mean, 16% of our consumers indicated their number one concern was they're not going to get their pumpkin spice latte. So you add all those elements together. And I think, again, making convenience and giving customers more alternatives on how to serve their needs is a real, real opportunity. Let's talk about safety. I think we've all seen the blog posts and the articles and the newsreels of people getting really angry about still having to wear masks. But by and large, the data that you collected said that people feel really good about mandatory masking and they feel good about the safety protocols in place going into the holidays. They do. What we saw, uh, again, from a retail perspective is about 40% of our respondents indicate they want to go back to store. Shopping is experiential. okay, And there are elements of it that certainly lend themselves better to the physical, whether it's touch of a fabric or the sense and the aroma of a prepared meal. But about 25% of the customers said, look, they want to see masked mandates to feel comfortable to come back into retail. About 20% indicated their preference would be a little bit stronger. They actually want more kind of a third-party vaccine passport. And then, you know, really in kind of that low teens, they highlight the basics of social distancing. They want to see visible efforts that things are being cleaned, and they would like to see some moderation of store traffic. The, the one that maybe surprised us a little bit was contactless checkout wasn't high on their agenda. It was only about 7% indicating that that would give them the confidence to return. So we think as a collective set of initiatives, again, working in partnership with our customers, we can help their customers feel comfortable and give them the best practices on how to operate safely. Simon, what are you saying when it comes to contactless payment with the jillions of restaurants you guys work with? I know the QR codes were huge in the middle of the pandemic. I think we've all seen many restaurants walk that back. Is there consumer pushback from that? Or is the walk back that we're seeing just the restaurateurs trying to be hospitable? I think it's a bit of both. I think there's also some economics at play. Right. And so you look at the cost to the restaurateur of QR payments versus like a card present transaction. There's a significant difference there. And so I think as people are realizing that they maybe don't need to do this anymore, they're walking it back a little bit. Look, the difference between, and this is like globally, right? In every country we interact with, and certainly the US is a good representation of it, people's preference for cash has gone down dramatically. And so they will continue to use kind of non-cash methods, just like with our gift card conversation, right? Like those propensities are going up. QR code is not going away. We're seeing more solutions that sort of look like that, that we think are really interesting, that simplify some of these interactions. But again, it's not going to be like it was in the pandemic where it's like, okay, it's QR or it's nothing and it's all touchless. People have a deep and meaningful preference to have interactions with humans, especially when they're setting themselves up 
for an in-person interaction. And so I think like with many of these things, it is going to kind of throttle back to kind of halfway between where we were in the pandemic and I think where we were before that. What's important from an operational perspective, right, is that you know, you've got a solution that you think matches your service environment, that the economics of it are positive for you and positive for the staff, and that you're not necessarily creating a really high cost payment solution for yourself that doesn't necessarily deliver a lot of value. The study that you guys did does show that the tech-driven options are accepted now by consumers by and large for ordering, for getting their food. And I'm very curious to know, of the suite of solutions that are out there, and there are so many, you guys provide a ton, what do you think is going to stay and which solutions do you think have the most benefit to all stakeholders, right? The restaurateurs and their customers. Yeah. So to your point, right, like the survey is very clear that people are now kind of veering towards what we call like hybrid interactions. And uh, two years ago, we would have talked about it as like, I'm going to start with my device because I'm having like an off-prem experience, right? I'm doing a pickup or I'm doing a takeout or I'm ordering for delivery. And if I'm in person, it's like a totally in-person experience other than the reservation. And what we've seen, right, is just this absolute blending of those things. And so where we had built tools and our industry had built technology that kind of clamped onto one of those, right? Like I am a delivery platform or I'm building a takeout app for a restaurateur. We're now much more focused on how do you make these things sort of touch points in an experience that from start to finish might blend a little bit of digital, a little bit of in-person experience, maybe a QR code payment. And so that's really the goal for us, right, is that we've got a tool set that we can bring to restaurateurs that allow them to construct those kinds of touch points for people that they can have them where they want and they can kind of integrate them all along. The challenge of all of that is that it's like really complex. And so you've now got service staff, who many of whom are new and who are quite busy and quite stressed, interacting in kind of ways that are, you know, they've got information coming from a pre-order, let's say or an interaction that someone had on their device, and then they're having the in-person point. And so we see all the solutions we're really driving towards being able to connect all of those items and provide continuity in the experience. So like in a table service environment, that's really kind of the most important component. And we see in all of the surveys, like a desire for in-person experiences to be in-person, but to have a little bit of digital. And there's a lot of patience for working with staff. As soon as you veer a little bit off of that, it's got to be kind of all digital all the time if people want. And there's a very low threshold for kind of sensitivity on timing, on wait times, and on service. And so for us, the solution is really like build a platform that allows you to bring all of those things in and enable staff to kind of work in what is like an environment that is 10 times more complex than what was already really complex. One of the takeaways when you guys sent me some of the notes on the survey was that fast isn't fast enough. And I spent 10 years of my life in nightlife, then pivoted to fine dining, and then went into fast casual and got out of fast casual pretty quick. And the reason being is there's only one gauge of value, and it's how quickly can you get someone their food? We made chicken sandwiches using the best chicken and the best processes. But if I couldn't get it to you in eight minutes, you were furious. And that same sandwich delivered in 10 minutes wasn't satisfactory because I had run you late. And it seems like this, I need it and I need it now, is bleeding into all tiers of dining, right? Yeah. And it's in places you'd expect. So like a drive through yeah, 20% or more people don't want to see more than a minute or two minute wait. But when we get to like 
in-counter or in-house diners, majorities that I, I think at wait times that most restaurant operators would say like, that's pretty reasonable, whether that's like 10 minutes from entry to order as being a pretty reasonable kind of wait time. We've got almost more than half that find it unacceptable. And so we're in an industry, right? We're like, You've got decreased patience on the staff. You've got a much more complex operating environment, right? Because we've got all this digital, all this in-person stuff. You've got all the third-party orders coming in. We've got a staffing shortage, right? And lots of movement in menus as people kind of reconfigure for what's coming. And so I think it is really fascinating. And you see it when you look at the news today, right? Like people getting really upset on airlines, all of these kind of reports that come out. And I think in the restaurant business, we are seeing our version of it frustrated diners who have a little bit of a mismatch on the expectation versus I think what traditionally we've thought about delivering. And so it is where we feel like really well-constructed digital tools that kind of help people kick that experience off, frankly, even before they've gotten to you, that use data really well, can kind of accelerate that and take some of the pressure off staff and enable a matching experience, right? That's fast, that's a high quality and sort of gets to the expectation. But yeah, make no mistake, consumers have gotten pickier. It's really concerning because there just aren't enough people to service the demand that's out there. And yet there is certainly an impatient client base out there. And I wonder, and I know you guys have these conversations internally as well, like at what point the restaurateurs are just going to say, you might want everything, but what you need is expedience. And so we are going to pull everything out that is transactional and automate it. And then we will focus on everything that is experiential because that's what we have enough staff to actually accomplish. And in some ways, consumers aren't arguing with that, right? Like vast majority have a really deep preference for in-person experiences. They can get any sort of meal they want put on their doorstep inside of 30 minutes. And what they're saying is like, actually, no, I do want the experience and that's what I'm going for. It is interesting, right? Because there's on one side, We've got this kind of increased expectation, I think a difficult industry environment, right? Supply chain staffing, all these kinds of things. And then we also have things like virtual kitchens, right? So we have a lot of kitchen capacity all of a sudden. And there's a lot more in some ways than there was even pre-pandemic because we've now got all of this delivery only capacity. And so we do see restaurateurs also really trying to think through, look, how do I firmly target in on what I want to be doing? And in your example, I think it's a great one of like, I'm going to create an in-person experience. I'm going to let the virtual side, maybe I'll even do my own virtual environment and I will satisfy that need with that capacity. Anything that is about in-person, we are going to deeply focus on making that right. And we have one client who we talk a lot with in the UK and they always use the example of like, we've spent millions of dollars across all of these locations building a really amazing front of the house experience in our restaurants. And anytime you walk into them at five o'clock, there's 10 people with motorcycle helmets under their arms waiting for delivery orders. And it's like, it just, it undoes everything. And it's part of the frustration. And so I think this kind of ability to focus and to really think about what you want to be delivering and how you're going to deliver it is one of the hallmarks and the markers of those that we see being really successful as we sort of launch our way out of the pandemic. According to the study, the way consumers are valuing their offerings of restaurants is changing. They are more concerned with sustainability, environmental impact, corporate governance. Is that really the case? Yeah, I think the numbers are pretty remarkable. And this is actually a question we've asked reasonably consistently in the last number of years when we've done these surveys. And I mean, 60%, if you're a millennial, have a real focus on sustainability of the offer, where things are coming from. In some geos, it's even higher than that. 
And I think you made this stat, this comment when you were speaking to our team, right? That it's not just your consumers, it's your offer to potential staff, right? That you've got to have this mission laid out. And so we look at it as like, yes, we all have this moral imperative as an industry. We think software is a really, really powerful part of this in terms of managing waste and helping kind of the industry become a better sort of citizen of the world. It's not just about the message to consumers. Your staff are looking for it. And it is part of the offer, whether it's around, you know, food waste, provenance, all these kinds of things. It has been one of the most dramatic increases, frankly, from pre-pandemic to today. Do you guys have any indication of consumers are willing to pay for that? We have indication that they're willing to pay a premium for it yet. We did see some differentiation in terms of what parents versus non-parents believe. So about 64% of parents indicated that really understanding that alignment between the brand values, be it sustainability or ethically sourced materials, was important to them. Only about 50% of the non-parents had the same response that kind of more of a Mother Earth first purchase agreement. But I think it's absolutely something that we have to continue to not only pay attention to, but commit to. I do think we have examples, right, of it's not that consumers are paying for it, but they've engaged with it, right? So think about menu simplification that happened across our industry, really kicked off most aggressively you know, at the start of the pandemic. And I think there was always this worry in the industry, like, oh, you know, we're getting rid of choice. It's going to be a problem. We're going to lose consumers. I don't think I heard a peep from anyone saying I got a lot of pushback by simplifying my menu and improving it. And in large part, like the most important thing you can do to improve your kind of, you know, the wastage levels in your kitchen and the efficiency of your supply chain is through that kind of simplification. And it's been a huge bump for our industry. And I think consumers have absolutely engaged with it. And I don't think we've heard a lot of complaining. They get it. And they saw value in it. And so my hope is is that that's like a good leading indicator. It's an easier one for people to digest, but it was a really kind of positive first move. I mean, we're talking about millennials here. They just have completely different value systems. And if we want them to work for us and we want them to patronize our locations, either we've got to adjust our values or find new customers and employees. But at the end of the day, and I think a lot of it has to do with growing up with the internet, right? And that immediate gratification and the ability to have everything kind of all at once in the palm of your hand. But I do. I mean, I've seen it firsthand in my own restaurants that they do want to work for a mission-driven company and they want to patronize a mission-driven company. And then in addition to all of that, they do want to make sure that it's good for the environment and that their time isn't being wasted. Because I think there's this great reevaluation of what really, really matters when it comes to hospitality. And I would argue that the millennials that I've spoken with and the ones that I have served directly think that the best service model is the one that gets them what they want as quickly as is humanly possible. And there is an opportunity there to bring in to service their needs and give them everything they want, which is an optimized experience and a more economical, sustainable, environmentally responsible experience. Well, and ultimately, that may be a role where technology can play a larger role. I mean, in fairness today, there's some amount of greenwashing that's taking place in the communities. Ultimately, this is a big data problem in terms of looking all the way back to farm and understanding what resources are consumed and how much water is utilized through transportation and then all the way through delivery. So 
there's a role that technology can play in helping to bring together all those disparate data sources so that we can both have better transparency to the consumer that places value there. And we can have better accountability for all of the actors in that value chain so that we can start to make a difference. It is interesting, like on our survey results, millennials kind of their data always appears in the exact same part. It is always kind of a more aggressive version of everyone else's answer, right? They're really leading in terms of the industry's kind of preferences and what's coming next. No place more so than sustainability, but even in places like touchless interactions and all these sort of things, I mean, they really are, to your point, first digital, purely digital generation have a lot more facility and are really going to be driving adoption across kind of everyone because there are kind of the numbers there. But on the sustainability side, it is a fundamental part of the message. And I think as software players, right, we probably have the fastest, simplest solution to this, which is like much better use of data, connecting consumer demand all the way through the supply chain in a system that has been one that you kind of learn as an art right? You come up through this industry and you get better at thinking about inventory and ordering and kind of moving with the menu. And I think we do see data and kind of the professionalization of the models as we use as something that we sort of have to work on in earnest with the industry as being the next big point at which we can kind of change the curve, frankly, on wastage in the industry. Well, something else I thought was really interesting is that ordering preference is situational. And I'll let you go ahead and define that because it seemed like a massive blind spot to me personally. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting, right, is like people, when they're in person, the majority, like they want to have an in-person experience. They're not saying to the world, like, I will sit down and stare at my phone and order on device. So it's, you know, like 65% want to have that interaction with a server. And I suspect if you kind of carved out much more sort of experience-focused kind of in-person fine dining or something that's special, you know, it's going to go through the roof, right? Takeout, obviously people, you know, that rate comes down, right? Like people are more interested in having kind of a device-led experience, but across all kind of situations, let's call it, like the human hospitality interaction is sort of always in there for most people. Like there is a touch. People aren't looking for a robot to hand them their hamburger. They really aren't. And so we do see it decline, but like there are points in time for digital, there are points in time for the human interaction and people want kind of a blend of it. Certainly the kind of situation they're putting themselves in drives entirely. So when you get down into like drive through, you're down at sort of 35, 38% want to have a human interaction, the rest couldn't care less. But it's not that the world is telling us they want digital only. What they're telling us is they want kind of hybrid when it suits them. It's an industry podcast, and at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you guys have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to share? I think, from my part at least, right, what we see right now is a pretty remarkable time where the industry is getting much, much more complex. And I think our advice to all of our clients is you've got to get very tactical about moving some of these things forward. I think often we have conversations with people where they're like, okay, well, how do I develop all of this at once and have like a full platform all at one time and kind of change the experience? Where we see people being really successful is by kind of working with their partners, slowly chipping away at these solutions and building interactions and tooling that really fits with the experience they're trying to drive as being kind of where people are really successful. They're being really thoughtful they're doing this in a way that matches with what they want to do as opposed to just kind of driving for volume or driving for sort of completeness out of the gate. And so success for us tends to be around that 
some tactical kind of execution focus that is kind of short and sharp. And then I think the second component is like, look, everywhere globally in all of our geographies, we're having these same conversations around staffing and the supply chain as being the kind of makers or breakers right now. And I think similarly, right, it's a place where your technology partners should be helping you to execute on those. And where we see people being successful is, again, leaning on partners, being really thoughtful about how they're operating. And those are going to be the markers of success in a world that's getting more complex for our industry and one where, frankly, I suspect we're not done with the changes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a word of caution. Years ago, we started talking about how our industries have such a fascination with shiny object syndrome. And that's an SOS message for a reason, right? I think this is a time where getting a single view of customer, getting a single view of inventory, really, and then dialing up those associate and order dynamics. It's about operational execution as we try to all work our way, hopefully, to the better side of the recovery side of this pandemic. That's Mike and Simon from Oracle. To read the full report, visit the link in our show notes. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.